All right, well, thank you for allowing me to be here again. <laughs> I didn't get run off after last time, so that's not a bad thing. Um, so tonight, um, we're going to be in Colossians, but really, something that I talk to the youth about a lot, and I think it's important to understand, is, is where we're at as a society, as far as Christianity, and the things that we're under attack for, um, day in and day out. And it's important to know how to combat that, not only when you're talking to other people, but more importantly in your own life, when you start allowing these false doctrines and these things to creep in because they might make sense. And, and that's what I really want to look at tonight um, because in today's society, I mean, if you just look at science, first we have science. Science is trying to disprove God. You have evolution. Um, what is the church's response? Most churches say, no, the Bible's true, 100%. God has created the earth, heavens and the earth in seven days plain and simple that's it that's what we believe that's faith a lot of churches though what are they doing and a lot of christians are saying well science makes sense so maybe god created the earth through evolution and maybe god used evolution and he was the catalyst that got it started he started the big bang and i know that pastor ecky talked about this uh, a few weeks ago but that's you know people start trying to use human logic instead of just realizing what's in the bible um and so we start Diluting it and if you start diluting it that way if 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 Genesis is a fairy tale, where does that fairy tale stop? Does it is it the whole Bible is a fairy tale? I mean, where does it end? I mean we either take the Bible For what it is or for what it's not um, another way that people are are trying to distort Christianity today is that they're using a human perspective of God to try to explain things they can't explain so they're trying to look at God through our culture, through the eyes of our culture, instead of through what the Word says, what the Bible says. So you get this mixture of, well, I guess the end result is you have a lot of churches flying the rainbow flag outside of their church because God is a God of love, right? And God is all-inclusive, and He's not going to shun people just because they were born that way because that's what society and science has been telling us is that people are born homosexual and now... So how could God create them just to be destroyed? And it's just a, a weird logic that people are trying to use. They're trying to use human philosophy and human logic to define God. And there's so many other things out there where the church is under attack. And uh, while everyone in this room studies the Bible and knows the truth, there's a lot of people on the fringes of the church that are being deceived day in and day out. Right? Even the prosperity gospel, that's deceiving people. Because as soon as they hit hard times, well, it's not real. God didn't bless me in everything that I do, so I'm just going to walk away. So there's a lot of people on the fringes of churches that are being deceived, right? Um, and they're, So uh, also many churches are caving to the pressures of the world and society, and they're becoming all-inclusive. That doesn't mean just homosexuality, about everything. They're all-inclusive, no matter what. God created us. We're going to be good. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to find God in different ways. I think it's ecum. I can never say the word ecumenism. Basically, it means is that the word? I butcher it every time. Um, but basically, what it means is all religions lead to heaven. All religions lead to God. God wouldn't choose one religion over another, um, and that's huge. I don't know if you've ever talked to anybody who's in the Baha'i religion, um, Baha'ism. So I used to run a booth in Farmer's Market, um, and it, was, it basically was through the church. And the booth next to me, they were Baha'is. Actually, it was two booths down. They were, they were Baha'i religion. 
I'd never heard of that religion, so I went and talked to them. Basically, they believe everything. They believe all religions lead to God. And so, in just a little bit of questioning, you're able to just defeat the whole argument. I mean, my question was, do you believe that Christianity is true? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Yes, because it's in the Bible. Then how do you believe in the Quran that everything else, you know, and it's just, it, it doesn't make sense. But that's the push in today's society. When you start to say Jesus is the only way, you're now a racist, a bigot, whatever roar words they want to throw at you because you're a radical Christian, right? Um, and so what we're going to look at in Colossians is the church of Colossae was facing the very similar attack, right? One of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes, right? Because the phrase, there's nothing new under the sun, brings me so much comfort, right? Because I feel like I'm, I, I might be facing something new, but no. It's been faced before, and it's been defeated before, especially from Jesus, right? Jesus defeated everything. We can't face a single sin that Jesus didn't overcome and conquer. And I love that verse or, or, of that passage um, and that book. But in the church of Colossians at the time, they were being threatened by false doctrine around every corner, left, right. So it, Colossians, Colossae, the city of Colossae was in Turkey. So it was, it was about 100 miles from Ephesus um, where Paul was a missionary um, for about three years, right, in Ephesians. And he started the church in Ephesians. Paul never actually visited the church of Colossae. He'd never been there. Um, he even says that in Colossians 2. He says that I've never been to Lydosia or Colossia. I've never met you, right? But we find in verse 7 who actually started the church. And just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant. And it, it goes on to explain that uh, Epaphras was from the city of Colossae. Most likely he had come over because it's 100 miles to Ephesians and got saved. And then Paul sent him out as a missionary back to his church. So... Colossians starts out with Epaphras. I'm, I'm going to butcher his name every time. But what it starts out with is Epaphras going to Paul in Rome, about 1,300 miles, because these were written, these were uh, um, the prison epistles, right? And so it, tradition holds that he wrote it in Rome. And so Epaphras went to Rome, 1,300 miles, to report about the church. And uh, so we reported that the church is doing good. The church was doing good at the time. But he also reported all of the heresies. So you had two different philosophies. You had the Greek philosophy and you had the Jewish philosophy trying to attack the church of Colossians. Um, the Greek philosophy, they claimed that they had a superior knowledge, right, through visions that they'd gained. Basically, their knowledge was superior to the Bible. That sounds very similar today, right? We have science. It's that I was reading something that 95% of the scientists who have ever lived in the history of, of the world live today. Because science is such an important part of our society. Look at all of the technology, technology advances that we've had in the past 20 years. You wouldn't have dreamed, I don't even have my cell phone on, you wouldn't have dreamed of having a computer so powerful 20 years ago in your hand. Science is growing leaps and bounds. And so people feel like knowledge. Who needs the Bible? This Bible is too simple. It's too archaic. Now we have knowledge. And so that was the same thing happening to the Colossian church, is that these Greek philosophers, right, had said matter is evil and God is good. 
And so one thing that they were saying is God couldn't have created the earth because all matter, all everything that we have is evil. So God couldn't create evil. So what God did is he used lesser gods. And they had many, many lesser gods, the pagan gods. And so they were trying to incorporate their religions into Christianity and, and trying to make the umbrella of Christianity fit what they had thought in their culture and what they had been before. And so they were saying that these lesser gods created matter. And so you had lesser gods that were evil, Satan, and you had lesser gods that were good, Jesus, right? They also denied the, the, the uh, uh, humanity of Christ. Because how could a good emulation or a good God be, be matter, be something physical? Because physical is evil. And so they denied the deity of Christ. And all these things Paul addresses in the, in the book of Colossians is an amazing book. He addresses creation versus you know, something else, that God created the earth. He addresses the deity of Christ. He addresses, uh, I wrote some more down. Um, he addresses Ekin, that all religions lead to God. <laughs> so he addresses that. Um, so what the Greeks were saying is you needed to have, not only was grace not sufficient salvation, but so you, yeah, you, you asked Jesus to forgive you and you came to Jesus, but you needed to have a superior knowledge. Knowledge was the key to getting, gaining salvation and you needed the help of the angels, the good emulations to make it to heaven. So they had this weird mix of their gods and their culture and they tried to, to basically put God under their culture and, and make it fit. Um, you also, seems very contrast, you had the Jewish sect there that was trying to persuade them to, to uh, become legalistic. So they were, they were observing all the Jewish laws and customs and circumcision and the Sabbath and all of these things and they were trying to earn their way through salvation in that. And all of these are combated in Colossians. So when Epaphras came to report to Paul, he said, well, our church is doing good, but these are the things that we're struggling. And so Paul, this is Paul's response to the church because Epaphras had gone to Paul for help on what do we do? How do we do this, right? And so it's an amazing book that's very relevant to today. I mean, the whole Bible's relevant, but it is amazing that when you really start studying the Bible, how relevant it is to everyday life and everything that we do. Um, turn my page here. So one thing that he mentions that I want to read is in, in Colossians 2, 22. Mm, let me start a little bit earlier. In verse 20, it says, If you have died with Christ, this is Colossians 2, 20, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, uh, which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against the fleshly indulgences. That's just one of the, there's many verses in there where Paul combats all of these things that were, that were uh, um, attacking the church of Colossians. The part I want to look at tonight, and I really want to study, is Paul's prayer for the Colossian church, because that's really relevant to us today in our Christian walk. And the prayer is going to be uh, in verses 9 through 
11. Well, the prayer continues, but I'm only going to cover half of it. So we'll read the whole thing, which is uh, 9 through 14. Um, but I'm only going to try to cover half of it tonight. And so this is what Col- Col- uh, Paul is saying. This is chapter 1, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. Sorry, I realized we were still in Colossians 2. Alright, so it says this. For this reason, also, since the day we have heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His purpose or to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness fastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So that's Paul's of prayer for the church. And when I was reading that prayer, it has so much in it on how to combat just the pressures of the world, right? And that's what I want to look at is, is, the, is uh, how we as Christians can use the knowledge of His will to combat all of the things around us in the world that are trying to attack our Christian lives and undermine who we are um, as Christians. So, let me get to the right page here. So first thing I want to look at is Paul's prayer on a whole. If you notice it, when we read it, there was nothing about physical things. Everything was spiritual, right? I mean, there was fruit which manifests itself physically, but it was a fruit that comes from a spiritual, right? Everything in there was spiritual. And as I started looking at that, yeah, we do need to pray for spiritual things like, you know, someone's so sick or I need money or I need a job or I need this. But... Most of the prayers are about physical or spiritual things in the Bible, right? Even if you look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, it's all about spiritual things. And then Jesus goes right on after that in Matthew 6 to talk about how the lilies of the fields, do they worry about what they're going to wear? Do the birds worry about what they're going to eat? All of these things will be added to you. But our our focus needs to be on the kingdom of heaven. Um, And so... Paul's prayer is contrast to a lot of times that we pray. I mean, it's not bad to pray for people to be healed, right? We see that in James, where we confess our sins and pray, you know, pray for each other to be healed. We pray for physical things, but our focus shouldn't be on the physical realm, right? Because we're running a race that's not physical, it's spiritual, has spiritual implications. It has a spiritual ending to it, right? We're running a race not to be rich or to be great here on this earth, we're running the race to bring glory to God spiritually and that we can go and live with Him. Um, and so the one thing that I noticed, the first thing that I noticed when I read this prayer is it was very spiritual. It was all about our spiritual walk, who we are as Christians. It doesn't hinge on how much money we make or where we go to church as far as in a big church or a little church, um, what bills are paid for, what bills are not paid for, how much food we have. All of these things are important and God does care about them. But everything was about the spiritual side of things and the spiritual aspect of being a Christian. And I think a lot of times we can get distracted by the world. And I think that's where the prosperity gospel 
why it is so a lot of the mega churches preach prosperity gospel right why so many people are flocked to it because they're so preoccupied on the physical that they don't really care about the spiritual so the prosperity gospel which says if you come to Jesus everything's going to be good right he's going to take care of all of it um, in the physical realm you're going to have money you're going to have peace you're going to have all of these things yeah we're going to have peace but it promises that we're going to have the peace in the midst of trials not peace as we picture it where everything's nice and cush and, and easy we're going to have peace in the midst of trials and so that's why it's so appealing and that's why these churches are so huge I believe is because they're focusing on the spiritual which is what our our minds focus on naturally as humans because we are more apt to believe in the physical because I can touch it I can see it I can feel it I can hear it right um, but that's not where our focus is to be right if you look at Nicodemus what did Jesus tell him he said you need to be born again well, what do you mean born again and he was talking about born again of the spirit spiritually born again so that was the first thing I noticed um, and that was just kind of something I wanted to point out in Colossians 1 or 3 uh, 1 through 3 Paul says this about that I'll turn there you go. he says therefore if you have been raised up with Christ keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God set your mind on things above not on things that are on the earth for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God so we have died to this world right and now we're living spiritually and we're to set our things on mind of mind or set our minds on things above and that's what this prayer was all about as we go to go through it it's about setting our mind on God and on things above um, so now I want to break down this prayer I don't think I'm going to get through it all tonight <laughs> um, because there's quite a bit here but uh, we'll get through a little bit of it and uh, um, so the whole prayer is broken up into two parts you have the petition at the beginning and then Thanksgiving right so 9 through 11 is what I want to focus on I want to focus on what Paul was asking God to do for the, the Christians there in Colossae as they're um, as the Colossian church was being attacked by all of these things. First he says this, For this reason, also since we have heard of it. Well, what he's talking about since we have heard of it is the report. In verse 8, right? And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. The church was doing well, right? But for this reason also means of the report that Epaphras was saying about what the church is being attacked under attacked for um, so that's the reason that Paul was praying this and that's what that means and he says this we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding well the word filled there means to be completely and totally filled it means to be not only filled but controlled by if you look at the Greek word so he wanted them to be controlled not just filled but controlled and, the, and that word is used several times throughout the New Testament and it always means to be controlled right when you're filled with the Holy Spirit you're controlled by the Holy Spirit um, it talks about the, the in, in the, the Gospels it talks about the, the uh, Pharisees being filled with hatred right they were being controlled by their hatred it wasn't just a filling like we see a glass that was filled it was actually to mean to be controlled um, and knowledge so the word that he used, he didn't just use the word knowledge there. Um, if you look at the Greek, he meant it, it was he put an intensifier on the beginning of that word knowledge. 
and it means a super knowledge, which is exactly what the Greeks were claiming to have. They were claiming to have a super knowledge through visions and through mixing of making their making God fit into their culture that they didn't have it wrong, right? All of these years, because the Greek mythology, the Greek gods have been around, right? And so, um, it was an actual super knowledge. So basically, what he's saying is that we need to be t totally controlled by the super knowledge of His will. So we need to be controlled by the by the knowledge. And so, knowledge is kind of one of those things that if you look at Paul's epistles, it's very central to all of his epistles, right? He starts off with a prayer, um, almost always, and then he starts off with knowledge. So he starts off with theology, understanding who we are in Christ, understanding who God is, and then he goes into practicality of how to live that out. But he always starts with knowledge, and understanding who God is is key to living that out in the later parts of his epistles. Um, and so if you look at him, even Romans, the first, I think, 12 chapters, the first 11 chapters are all about theology. And then when you get into 12, it's all about, he switches gears and he says, okay, now that you know this, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And he goes into living it out. So it's a key um, theme to Paul's writings. And, and so I really want to understand what he means by knowledge. Um, and why knowledge is so important. Why do you think knowledge was so important to Paul? Knowledge is, everything, you know, knowledge is good to have. Yeah. The wisdom. It's it just, you know more. You know more. Yeah. You know the bad and the good. Yeah. Both sides of it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had a conversation. I shared this this morning in, in Sunday school, but... I had a conversation with somebody at work. Uh, I think it was week before last. I got into a new office. I was meeting somebody, um, and because uh, she's a secretary there, and so she knew I was a chaplain. So instantly, it always happens. They say, "Okay, what do you believe? You know, and and what 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 do you think?" And so I just go through the story and you know who I am, um, what I believe. I talk to him about Jesus and. Uh, and what he's done for my life. And then she went on to talk about how, well, she's got some Christian neighbors and they don't come over and this and that. And, and do Christians really, her, her big thing is do, do Christians really have to segregate themselves from the world? And it was just a weird conversation in that sense where she had this idea of God. And so she started telling me who the, she thought God was and how, how all of these things. And she'd grown up in the Catholic Church, kind of not really going 100%. And so my question to her was, so do you have a Bible? No, I don't have a Bible at home. So I said, so how do you know who God is? Well, it's just what I feel. It's what I think, right? And you might, as you have read the Bible, you might say, well, that's obvious. But I would say a majority of people around us, that's how they get to know who God is. One, they watch us as Christians and they start to see who God is. Two, they see it on TV, different things. Or they might have grown up hearing a Sunday school class or doing these things. But they've never researched who God was on their own. And that's where you get people who just live the way that they want to live, right? So I have another person that talks to me a lot at work about religion. And they grew up very staunch Catholic. They have a, ba a daughter who goes to a Baptist church. And this person was married to a Jehovah's Witness before. So the religion is all out there, right? Um, 
And so the one thing that this person always says is, well, they'll do something bad. And like, oh man, now I gotta do five things good in order to make up for that, right? And that's their idea of religion is earning their way, right? And my, always my, my go-to thing with people like that is, so if I have a, let's say Mother Teresa, who she's no longer with us, but she had devoted her life to good, right? Let's say one day she had a lapse in judgment and murdered somebody. She's standing before a judge. Is that judge going to say, you know what? I'm going to take into account everything good you've ever done, and that's off the table, and you're, you're fine. We're not going to put you in jail, right? If that's human judges that would say no way, and they're going to hold you accountable, how much more would God hold us accountable if we sin once, right? That we are done. And then I always have this, you know, for the wages of sin is death, uh, scriptural verse, and then I've got a couple others, but... Um, a lot of people get their idea of God not from knowledge. Well, they have knowledge, but that knowledge does not come from the Bible. And this is what Paul is saying, right? He's not saying just knowledge in general because he goes on to, to specify what that knowledge is. Um, in Colossians 3.10, Paul goes on and he says... Uh, um, and, have, and put on a new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who has created him. So being renewed by a true knowledge, right? He's talking about the true knowledge, the true knowledge of who God is and who God is in the scriptures, right? Paul was a studier of the scriptures. He knew the scriptures inside and out better than just about anybody is what he claimed, right? He's, he knew he'd done more. Well, I guess not more than Jesus, but he, had get, he listed all his qualifications, right? of why he was such a good person as according to world standards but all of that was nothing to knowing who Christ was so without a true source of knowledge or an absolute standard like God's word anything goes and that's where we're at in today's society is they don't have that true and absolute standard of, of uh, the knowledge of God look at today's society and the new truths that are being told every day they are based on human logic and human knowledge instead of the absolute truth of God, right? And that's the world we're living in today, and that's why so many people are deceived. And that's why it's so important for us to know the Word of God, that when people, God's going to give us opportunities every day to talk to people, right? And if we can just give them one little truth about God every day, <laughs> hopefully we can give them enough that they get saved. But my goal in every conversation is, okay, I want this person to know one little, one more thing about God. If I only have two minutes, I want them to understand who God is more than they did when they started talking to me. And it happens a lot, right? Especially everyone knows you're a Christian around you. And so they're going to, whenever they see something, they're going to, hey, what do you think about that? And they, I know exactly what they're talking about, right? What do you think about that? What does God say about that? Or who's God? Or they'll say, you know, thinking they're being good because they know they're around a Christian. They'll say things like, well, God wouldn't let someone do that. You know, something they have no clue about, but they'll try to throw God into the picture. And you say, well, no. You know, I mean, so one of the things that people do a lot is, well, this person's gay. They're automatically going to hell. My thing is, because they'll, they'll bring that up around me, right? I'm like, no, that's not, not actually what the Bible says, right? It says the homosexuality is a sin. But if you look at John 3.18, it says that we're already condemned. Everyone's condemned. So you're condemned, I'm condemned. It doesn't matter who you are. We're all condemned. But Jesus came to save the world. And so the only reason they're condemned is because they didn't 
they didn't uh, accept Christ. And that's kind of, I don't know, I just, I try to combat things one day at a, or one, one conversation at a time because we do have that absolute truth. We do have that knowledge. And as we study the word, we have what people need. People, people crave. They just don't know they're craving it. Right? Um, all right, so I'll go on to my next point about knowledge. Godly living is inseparable from the knowledge of doctrinal truth. And we can look at Ephesians 4, um, which is two books to the left here. Verses 11 through 14. And it says this, He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we attain the unity of faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result of this mature man, is what he's talking about, we are no longer children, tossed here and there by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of the deceitful scheming. Right? So, he's talking about the knowledge of the Son of God, right? The unity of faith. So we, as we grow in the knowledge of God, as we mature in who God is and who we are, not in who God is, but who in our knowledge of God, as we mature in that, and we mature in our walk with God, we start to see um, that we won't be tossed away. And that's where our sound doctrine comes from. And that's why it's so important to righteous living. We need to know what we're living and why we're living it. A lot of times people just say, I need to do this, this, and this. And I know I've brought it up in here, um, but it's the sins of omission versus the sins of commission, right? Sins of commission are, I need to not lie, I need to not cheat, I need to not steal, I need to not do all of these things, because that's what the Bible says is a good person, right? But that's only half of it, right? And that's not even the important half. The important half is the sins of omission, where we live for God, we omit things that God has called us to do. God has called us to become saved. He's called us to call on the name of Christ, right? Those aren't, if we don't do those things, those are sins. And those are the important ones. The, the, the don't do this, don't do that, don't do all of these things are like children, right? That's what we do with children. We tell them, hey, don't touch the hot stove, don't lie to your parents, don't cheat in school, don't do all of these things, right? Because we want them and we know that it's good for them. And they are good for us. But as we grow in Christ, we start to realize there are sins of omission. There are things that I am supposed to be doing as we mature. I need to do the will of God. I need to do what God has called me to do. Whether it's evangelize or whatever it is, there's so many things that God has called us to do. And when we ignore those, um, we are basically immature, being tossed around, right? Left and right. Um, so we'll keep going. But... So living, uh, God's godly living is inseparable from knowledge of doctrinal truth. Um, so we can't live for God without that. And that verse that I just read, uh, Pastor Eki, because I, I go over my notes with him, he wanted me to tell you that this is actually his vision for this church, right? And I want to read it again. But this is his vision for this church and what God has laid on his heart or what his heart is for the church. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, 
until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to measure to the measure of the statue which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we no longer uh, to be tossed here and there by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. So Pastor Eki, what his heart is, and you see it every Sunday, right? He's very knowledgeable, right? Some of the words he says up there, I'll be honest, I search on my phone. What does that mean? <laughs> right? He's very smart. He understands the Bible. The thing that amazes me is, is how much he's learned. I think he got saved in 2007, according to his testimony, right? Is how much he's dug in to the Word of God and understands the Word of God and how mature you can become if you truly devote yourself to the Word of God. And that's his heart, is that we would be mature Christians, right? And that's God's heart for us as well, right? That we would be mature Christians in the knowledge of his will. And that's what we're looking at right now. So I've been looking at the knowledge part, right, of this. Um, but I think one thing that... so. What we need to look at is the rest of that verse, right? This is the knowledge of His will. Filled with the knowledge of His will. So knowledge is good, right? But Paul is asking for a very specific knowledge here. He's asking for the knowledge of His will. Um, and so how do we gain the knowledge of His will? Right? And we, we already talked about this. We, we gain it. Go ahead. Oh no, we study it. We learn it. We oh, study it. Answer, we learn it. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so we study His Word, but how? I want to look spirit, at... Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. The wisdom. Wisdom. And understanding that the Spirit gives. That's what it said. Yep. Through the Spirit and through understanding. So to gain God's knowledge, the knowledge of His will, first we have to desire it. Right? We needed to desire it. And sometimes it's hard to desire it. But I'll tell you something. If you desire to be a Christian and you desire to walk for, with God, you might not have the desire to sit down and study for hours. But I'll tell you, if you just are obedient and start reading here and there and start studying here and there, that desire will naturally grow and it'll build and it'll grow. And eventually you're going to be really digging in and really trying to understand the Word of God and how, how rich it is. Because sometimes we read it and we don't understand what's going on. But as we desire it um, we start gaining it and, and I'm, I'm going to look at three things of how we gain his knowledge first we desire it John seven seventeen. if anyone is willing to do his will he will know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself and so what John is saying there he said if you know the will of God or if anyone um, is willing to do the will of God he will know of the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak of myself. Basically, when you start to study and desire, you'll know whether it's from man or whether it's from God. In Hosea 6, 3, it says this, So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And in James 1, 5, I'm just reading a few verses because I know we're turning around, I'd be having you turn everywhere right now. James 1, 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously without reproach and it will be given to him. And in Psalms 119, 25 to 27, it says, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. I have told of my ways, and you have answered me. Teach me your statutes. 
Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. So there's a lot, and those are just a few of the verses that I was able to find on desiring. We need to desire the Word of God, right? And God promises that if we seek Him, we will be found by Him, right? There's a few verses uh, in the Old Testament in Jeremiah and I think Deuteronomy where if we seek God, He will be found by us, right? He wants us to seek after Him. He wants us to desire Him. And a lot of times that desire comes from God. So it's kind of a weird (laughs) mix there. God gives us the desire, but we need to act on that desire, right? So when God gives us that desire to seek Him, we step out and we act on it. Um, So that's the first way to gain knowledge. The second way, as, as was mentioned, is depend on the Holy Spirit. Right, the Holy Spirit will teach us all things. Um, I'm just going to read one of the verses um, in 1 Corinthians 2 10 to 12. It says, This for to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of man except, except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know things freely given to us by God. So as we study, it's promised throughout the Bible that the Holy Spirit would speak to us and reveal more and more wisdom and more and more knowledge to us. Um, And it's amazing that as we study and you get into different situations where someone might ask you a question, how those Bible verses just pop up, right? I don't understand how it works because my mind works this way. I can watch a movie or read a book and walk away from it. And two days later, someone will say, hey, have you ever seen that movie? I'm like, I don't know. Have I? And then I'll have to ask my wife. And she'll say, yeah, we watched it two days ago. Okay. And what was it about? And then then she starts explaining it. And once she explains it, then all of a sudden I get it. That's the way my mind works. I have a very analytical mind. Right? My, I'm good at math, I'm good at science, I'm good at all these things. But when it comes to remembering someone's name or remembering books or remembering different things, I can't remember it. <laughs> and I'm still not old. <laughs> so who knows what's going to happen, right? <laughs> I'm done, right? I'll just get a leash and she can just lead me around. And that way I get to where I need to go. But when it comes to the Word of God, that's where I know it's the Holy Spirit because it's not by mine, might. It's not by my strength. It's not by my mind for sure, right? Because I'll be in situations and God will remind me of verses. I'll be teaching the teens something and someone in one of the teens will ask a question. Uh, one of them asked one time, what's the purpose of life? I don't know. And the verse piped in my head. And so I went to it. I mean, that's not how my mind works, but I know it's the Holy Spirit, right? That will remind you of these things. So as we study... As we gain the knowledge of Christ, we desire it, and then we depend on the Holy Spirit because we can't do it on ourselves. We can't understand what this Word says, right, without the Holy Spirit. Um, And the last one we need to do is study, right? Study the Scripture. Not just read it, but we need to study it. In 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, very familiar verse, it says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Right? So, we need to study that truth. Right? So that we're not dissuaded or led astray by every whim left and right of the world. Because some of the arguments the world has might sound a little appealing. Right? 
They even sound a little wise. Well, God is love, right? He's going to do this and this and this. Why would he do this? You know, and it's just, it's, if you're not grounded in the truth, you're going to be dissuaded really quick. And you're going to find yourself on a path that's way out there, right? Because if you look at different cults in the United States, they make sense if you try to use it from a human logic. Look at the Mormon church. They've got everything. They've even got the same Bible, except they changed a few words here and there, right? Mm-hmm. And they only use King James because that's what Paul used, so they want to make sure what they use, Paul used. But <laughs> I'm just kidding, sorry. <laughs> so, but they, they try to make it sound attainable, right? So this is what we do. This is how we do it. Um, we don't depend on this simple gospel. We need to earn our place, right? And they, they, they base it all on works, which is easy for a person to do because what did the rich man do when he came to Jesus? Hey, can I buy my way into salvation? Can I do this? How, what do I need to be to do to be saved, right? And we're looking for that easy route. Sacrificing our life to Jesus is not an easy route, right? Sacrificing our own free will and our own desires is not an easy route. But it's the only way, right? When you look at the Mormon church, they, can, they live the way they want to an extent. They're all about money. They're all about being successful. Um, and a lot of them are very successful. The church is worth like 60, I don't know, you were telling me, 60-something billion dollars in the United States. And they own different companies. But it's all based on works. All these things you have to do. And when you really start getting into it, it's pretty crazy. They have a room of secrets where they go into a room and they tell each other secrets. And then they hold each other accountable and they bind them. Basically, it's a room of, all right, I've got your dirty laundry. You've got my dirty laundry. Now we're going to have each other's back. And and that's how we're going to make it in business. Right? And I've seen it. um, I've seen it in a lot of different businesses and even in my work where one Mormon will solely pick someone just because they're a Mormon and they help each other out and they grow that way through the through ranks or through promotions and different things. So it makes sense, right? It's almost appealing. Well, now I've got a whole church that's going to help me, right? So there's a lot of things. If, if we're not grounded in what the truth is, it's got a variance of the truth, right? They just change a little bit. The only thing they've really changed on the theology part of what we believe is, well, Jesus was just a good man. He was a prophet, right? That's what they tell you on the outside and then there's a lot of other things they changed beyond that but there's a lot of different cults and a lot of different things out there that have tried to do that right um, so that's why knowledge is so important um, so why is the, having the knowledge of God's word necessary to follow his will in order to follow God's will why do we need that knowledge because we might miss his will what's that we might miss it we might miss it what else Wisdom is the practical outworking of knowledge. Yep. That's, that's how you get your wisdom, and that's the um, I'll probably confuse this. I don't often say very much, but there's a lot of good science out there, and there's also lousy theory out there, and there are there is science out there that, uh, for instance, you can invest in some things, as an example, that sound great because it's going to grow because of some scientific discovery. But when you look at what God's Word says, you can't do it. It's, it's a, in other words, you have to use God's Word sometimes to figure out what is right and wrong. Not all science is wrong. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things 
that people often walk away from in a church setting. They think, oh, I don't think there is such a thing as poof science. We just have not learned how it was done, that's all. Yeah. And uh, there's a difference. And, uh, many times it's so easy, oh well, yeah, I can make money on the stock market if I go into this particular thing. Uh-uh, you have to stop and does God allow us to do it? For instance, at work, one of the things that uh, uh, I ran into uh, as a Christian is the fact that uh, ultrasound has advanced. Oh, it has advanced through the many, many things that have been found and so forth. And uh, it's used constantly on pregnancy situations. And there's good uses of it in pregnancy situations. And there are definitely some really bad situations. And as a Christian, you have to separate yourself. You can't, for instance, uh, uh, look for a 12-month-old fetus, as an example. And uh, there's a heartbeat there, and so forth. And all they're interested in at the time if this is under 12 weeks, they can go get an abortion. Well, you can't do that as a Christian. I mean, you know, that's what I'm trying to say in a rough way. So. Yeah, I mean, so you're correct, and I hope I didn't make it sound that way, but science isn't bad, right? God has given us a mind to, to understand science. What I don't understand, and the way that things are going today, is that... Um, we have science, absolute uh, certainty that God created uh, us with DNA and uh, a body that every cell in your body tells whether you're a man or a woman. And now they have this gender fluidity that says if you amputate this and uh, tack on this thing, you can make a man into uh, a boy into a girl or a girl into a boy. That's so unscientific. It's it's laughable, yeah. and yet they say that this is this is scientific. How can it be scientific if every cell in your body uh, is either male or female? I yeah. mean, that's that is provable. Uh, it seems to me like they're contradicting themselves with this uh, this idea that you can change genders just because of, uh, of your inclination. Yeah. I don't I've never thought of it that way, but yeah. You know, it's funny, is each, each one of these comments, different angles of the science we're talking about, actually point right back to the will, the question you asked. There's going to be will. It's either yours or God's. There is no middle ground. Yeah. Either you're choosing or you're choosing to follow God. That's it. There's no... Yeah, and that's true, is that like you were saying with the ultrasounds they're amazing that we can see babies but one of the things they're used to is this used for is this going to be a down syndrome is this going to have defects or is this going to have that and it gives them the option to abort right um and so they're using science to go against god's will for our life um and then the same with that is it makes no sense but other than we're a society that are going after our own desires we're, we want to we want to fulfill our desires that just do what makes you happy mentality is what rules our society right we don't need rules and, and you can't constrain all these people if it makes you happy and it's who you feel like you are 
then that's the right way to do it, right? And it's because they haven't gone to the Word to know who they are, right? They're trying to grasp at straws, trying to figure out who they are. They're going to society. Who am I? What am I? Where am I? What's going on with my body? All these things. Instead of going to the Word of God and saying, Who am I? Who did God create me to be? When God created man and woman, who did he create? And what was the purpose of it? What is the purpose of life? So people are trying to grasp at all these things because they've rejected the truth. And right? They didn't, they didn't have the basic knowledge of what you're talking about to start with a lot of times. Yeah. And uh, they can't decipher. And, uh, uh, it's very easy to get confused because of all the things that are out there. Yeah. It is. And so... We try to grasp at straws, right, in today's society. But as, as Christians, we are that light. We are to be the salt on the earth. We are to be that truth, right? Uh, What's that? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's fine. As an example, I grew up uh, among the Amish, okay? And uh, Qatar was evil. Um, you know, but they could still get a driver and somebody to take him somewhere and all that. But as far as they didn't believe that there was, you know, um, I don't know, I couldn't figure out how they got to that right now. But they believed that in the church. Yeah. How do you say, well, you're wrong, you know. They still use the the carriage and the horses. They do. So I have some friends that live in Pennsylvania, and I visited them, and, and they still uh, you still have to go around the carriages, right? So, you know, people have, have taken religion all throughout history, right, and made it to whatever they want it to be. Go ahead. I, just want to say I think that's thing. the real danger. A lot of times that uh, we need to all be aware of is that uh, uh, what we're reading is logical and why it is. I mean, uh, yeah. And we don't need to be adding or taking away from right. it. Right. Go ahead, right. Clark. No, I was just, uh, you know, one of the thing, one of the great things that happens when you do find that uh, you, you you learn about God is that then pe- then I can only go from my perspective in this, and that is uh, the ability to how to how to work with these emotions that I have, these feelings and everything. Because without the Word of God, I just kind of ran them up. And uh, with the Word of now, now that I have, I know who God is. Um, I mean, there's clear directions on how we're to live our lives. Yeah. You know, but, but let me just say that prior to all this, I really thought I knew who God was. I had no idea. But society and a little bit of church one day, I learned when I was a child, I learned all about who God was. And there was these great songs and there was other things. And then there was all those times throughout my life when I was, before I was going to get in trouble and I, Asked for him to help, and he didn't come and save me. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's great to know the knowledge of God, and it's all right there. There's a book. For you can't us. know too much. Put it that way. So yeah, God. no, because I, I was mentioning this. I don't know if it was this morning or when it was, but this book is great, right? This book is awesome. Yeah. It tells us about God, but if John says that there were so many miracles that all the books that Jesus did that all the books couldn't even contain it in the world. How many more books would it take to truly describe who God was? Yeah. <laughs> right? There's an old, as in a hymn, about, you know, if, if the ocean was an ink, a well of ink, you could drain the ocean and still not 
explain who God was fully? I think it's, um, I'm paraphrasing. The love, of God. the love of God. There you go. And that's just one aspect of God, right? And so I know that's a hymn, but it truly is. I think eternity is going to be us getting to know who God is. I, I think right? it's a life learning so, process myself. Yeah. And the day you quit learning, you're in trouble in a, in yeah. a way. I mean, I hate to say it that way, yeah. but it's true. All right, well, let me finish this one verse up. I feel like Pastor Eki. I'm only getting to one verse. <laughs> so, um, so it goes on in verse 9. It goes on to say this. It says, well, I'm going to read it again. Not the whole verse, but I ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the broader term actually and understanding is a more narrow term wisdom is is kind of defined as the ability to collect and organize all the biblical principles and scriptures right so you have all of this wisdom proverbs is contained with all of this wisdom right you have one of my favorite verses and it was i found out recently it was one of my dad's favorite verses proverbs 3 trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths i quote that to myself at least once a day right um, in faced in situations, but these are all proverbs, right? They're all wisdom, but understanding is how do we apply that in our life to understand what it means and the application of those principles in every day. So he's asking not only for wisdom of the word, but also for understanding that we would know how to apply it in day to day life. Because if you look at if you look at the Bible, and this is what I ended up talking about in Sunday school this morning, it's filled with God's will for us. God's will isn't this mysterious thing that's out there and that, okay, God's will is for me to get this job or God's will is for this. Yes, God's going to lead you in those things. But God's will starts with, He wants everyone to be saved, right? He wants everybody to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants everybody to follow Him and please Him. He wants everybody to submit to Him. There's a lot of principles in the Bible, right? He wants everybody, as in says in Romans 12, to live um, uh, to offer their lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. And I want to go to Romans 12, 2, and this is where we're going to end tonight, about half of what I was going to say. So, <laughs> Romans 12, 2, because it's about doing the will of God. Um, and how do we do that? Acts, Romans 12, 2, and it. Let me get to Romans 12. All right. I'm going to read verses 1. So this is where he had gone through all of theology in the first chapter, first, the first uh, beginning of Romans. And this is where he says this. He says, Therefore, keeping in mind all his theology, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, right? So as we get to know what the Bible is, who's in the Bible, who we are in the Bible, we get to know the Word of God, it's going to renew our minds. It's going to give us a completely different perspective on the way we look at the world, on the way we look at situations, right? We, we have a different perspective, and it's going to shape how we react to those things and how we live out God's will in our lives. So it's such a key part to who we are is the knowledge of Christ, is gaining that knowledge and desiring that knowledge. And uh, 
So I think I might be speaking next week too, because he said if I can split it up into two, <laughs> teach next week. But next, so next week, if if God willing, um, we'll go through the five points of of what is the result, what does it look like when we truly start gaining knowledge, what does that look like in our lives? And that's the other part of the beginning prayer is things that He's asking for us, but they all hinge on understanding who we are in God. What would it be like? What would it be like if our nation be turned like. back to God? Yeah. yeah. And one of the things that... What a difference, huh? It's hard to watch the nation go the way it's going, right? Yeah. And as I said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. We know that it's prophesied that it's going to get worse, and it's going to get worse, and the world's going to keep going. That doesn't mean we don't stop fighting for Jesus, and that doesn't mean we don't start fighting for what's right. Um, and doing what's right and trying to draw people into Him. But I take comfort in that knowing that this is still part of God's plan. It's still part of, of what's going to happen. It's just my big thing is how am I going to protect my children from this? How am I going to protect the children of the youth from this? Because we see it all the time. right? We've had youth come in and they're pansexual or whatever because they've been told at 12 years old they're saying I'm pansexual. What does that mean? What is it? I don't know. Pansexual. It means basically they like everybody. They don't care. They they could they could marry anybody, whether they're transsexual, male, female. If they identify as some other type of sex, because it was like a thousand different sexes or whatever. Yeah, my granddaughter. She said she's gender neutral. Gender neutral. Yep. And it's, it's hard to watch, right? It's hard to see. We're called to still combat it. We're called still to be that truth, right? But it's hard because there are laws passed in California. There was one passed in, I think, 2016 here in California that as a youth minister or a youth pastor or a counselor or anybody, a part of a church that speaks to the youth, you're not allowed to counsel them on gender. Do you know there's a law about that? Yes. It's not constitutional, but there's a lot of things in California that aren't constitutional. <laughs> so I just want to encourage you in this that as we, as a church, we're really digging into the Word of God and we're seeking that knowledge. And it's not something just for our heads, right? The knowledge is something that displays in this. It displays in us being able to discern the will of God. And it displays in our lives as us continuing to do the will of God. If you know the, the stuff, but you don't ever put it into action, right? It's worthless. So as we learn these things, as we do this, we should see ourselves growing. We should see ourselves getting, uh, becoming more and more and more who God has called us to be. We should be being sanctified throughout our life, right? So... Any other thoughts or questions or comments? All right, let's pray.